0: Thank you. What an honor it is to be here. And I am very grateful that Pastor Adam has entrusted this pulpit to me. Now, I want to go ahead and put this out there and see if it gets me any traction. I think we might be family. Okay? And, And not just in the blood of Jesus, but my wife, her father is the brother to Mary Turner that is a member here. All right, and so Lisa and Kelly are cousins. She said, I wonder if people think I'm Kelly because we look alike and all look alike alike. So I don't want you to think that I am here with Kelly and got my arm around her. This is not Kelly. This is Lisa. This is my wife. She's from Pell City. So we're family. Does that give me any traction? All right, all right. Since we're all family, we're going to have a great time. I'm excited to be here. I am what they call the Associational Mission Strategist. They changed the title not long ago. It used to be the Director of Missions. The reason they changed the title is they wanted to make it as hard as possible for me to introduce myself to say I am the Associational Mission Strategist from the Shelby Baptist Association. You see what I mean? So anyway, some people just say the AMS, the DOM. Some people just call me DUM, and so we'll just leave it at that. I do bring you greetings this morning on behalf of the 66 churches of the Shelby Baptist Association. We are a varied group. We are churches from uh, a small congregation. We have churches that meet on Sunday that have less than 10. All the way up to a large congregation, we have churches that meet on Sunday that have well over a thousand. But here's the interesting dynamic about these 66 churches. Not only are they all solid in the Scripture and seeking to serve Jesus Christ, but here's some interesting facts about it that you may not know. Most of the time people think, well, we're just a small congregation, we can't do much. Would you believe that 75% of the churches in the Shelby Baptist Association run less than 100 each Sunday? Interestingly enough, in that, um, roughly 12 or so run less than 30 on Sunday. So here's a dynamic I want you to know. We are a conglomeration, a partnership, a ministry connected of churches working to do something very important. And I want to tell you what that is. We are seeking to make disciples by meeting needs in partnership with our member churches. In other words, we come together as an association to meet those needs. In fact, when you mentioned about needing more undergarments for the school. Get with me. We have those at the associational office. We have a ministry that provides different things such as that. We have a ministry that provides shoes. The only way you can get the tennis shoes is it's got to be a recommendation from the school or it's got to be a recommendation from a foster or a child care system. We do that. We give socks with it as well. We have ministry that helps with back-to-school supplies that if a family is in need, they can get school supplies for the association. So those are great areas. But what we're trying to do is meet a need so that we can have an opportunity to share with them about Jesus Christ. And it's not that we're a parachurch organization. We exist only because of the local church. We're working together. In fact, the association is actually older than the Southern Baptist Convention. The association as a whole. Now, I'm not talking about Shelby, I'm talking about associations as a whole. Now, I want to say thank you, because this church alone, Macedonia North, it gave last year $2,512 to help in the ministry of the Shelby Baptist Association. In addition to that, you also gave 257 pounds of food. See, we give out food to families in need every day, basically. And so thank you so much for that. Now, I want to tell you just a little bit about who we are in our core values. Core values are fourfold. We first and foremost want to be Christ-centered, Christ-infused. Christ must be everything about us. And we use as a theme verse, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. But not me, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, in the faith, I live by the faith in Jesus Christ, who loved me and died for me. See, that's what our sole purpose is. And then we go from there, from the Christ to the character. We want to emulate His character in our lives. Have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the serving of Christ. That's who we want to be. Then thirdly, we want to come together and have compassion. When you look out and you see the needs of people, we want to be moved just like Jesus when He... Looked out on the crowds in Matthew 9, 36, and his heart was moved with compassion because he saw people like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And we want to, as it says in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, we want to have a heart of compassion. And then finally, is cooperation. We work together in a cooperative spirit that we are coming together, just like Paul talked about in the church. Uh, to the church at Philippi in chapter 2 that we are coming together as one with one mind, one heart, one purpose, one mission. That's what we do. So how do we do that? Well if you haven't picked up I like to go in fours sometimes. And this four letters, four words rather, that make up what our mission is. We want to encourage. Would you say, Pastor item, that the last two and a half years have been tough? Would you agree with me on that? And, and with the last two and a half years being tough, it's the first time ever that I've known of, that you've probably known of, where the entire church was asked to shut down for weeks on a time. So it was tough on pastors. It was tough on church members. It was tough on the community. And we're here to encourage you and let you know that you're not alone in this mission. We want to encourage you to continue to stand strong, minister to the people in Vincent, Alabama, Alabama and beyond. In addition to encourage, we want to come in and equip, because guess what? Life is different than it was pre-COVID. It's completely different. We have to do things differently every day in our lives because of that. And because of that, the church is now having to adapt and say, how can we take an unchanging, never changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that has radically changed? And so we want to help equip you to do that. Thirdly, we want to come in and empower you. We in no way hold power over this congregation. What that means is this. When 75% of our churches run less than 100, oftentimes finances, resources, materials are hard to come by. So we want to come in and say, hey, let us help you find the resources you need to do the ministries in your community that you need and want to do, that God has called you to do. And then finally, we want to engage you in ministries whether it's local, regional, national, or international, a balanced Acts 1-8 strategy where we start at home and we work our way out to the uttermost parts of the world. How are we doing that? Well, one of the newest things that we're trying to work on right now, in addition, um, by the way, I've mentioned this to your pastor this afternoon, we're training pastors and church leaders this afternoon about what to do in the event Of an active shooter. We have the Sheriff's Department coming in with one of our staff members. They're going to be training security about that. We've got pushing a hundred people that will be showing up this afternoon for that training. This last month in July we did four free dental clinics. You may have seen us set up at First Baptist Vincent. We were doing that in cooperation with volunteer dentists and staff and the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was their truck. And we set it up in four different locations offering free dental care for the communities. Would you believe that one of the greatest needs in Alabama is the fact that there is not dental uh, insurance through Medicaid for adults? And so we were saying, how can we do that? We're in the process of looking, and in fact, I leave the end of the week with one of my staff members to go to a dental clinic. As I, a pastor, (laughs) going to a dental clinic to try and find out how we can carry that farther. See, we're working to engage. I've got a team of pastors that we're taking to Alaska next month to look at how we can partner with churches in Alaska. Would you believe that 1.5%, that's all, just 1.5% of the people in Alaska are evangelized? In other words, they are actively involved in a church. And so they need help, and our, our convention, our state convention, has partnered with Alaska, and we've been asked at the Shelby Baptist Association to partner with the churches in the Anchorage region. So we're taking a team of pastors up there to see how we can do that. We've been working with the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota for the last, my wife and I, since 15. And what we do is we go out there and we do anything from day camps to construction to medical missions. We've done optometry and dental on the reservation. Last month we were there for about eight or nine days on the reservation. Of those eight or nine days we gave out 283 brand new pair of eyeglasses that were matched specifically for from their prescription. Some of them were made on site all because of the partnerships of churches like you in the North American Mission Board and an insurance company that's not even a Christian organization called VSP. They partnered with us. Would you believe that they have gotten so involved and love it so much? They have, and I know I'm not supposed to use this word, pastor, they have a lottery system to see who gets to go and be with us because they like it so much. And you know what they like besides serving? My wife's cooking. My wife goes as the cook. And she feeds us and I have to work at it to stay as not fat as I am because she's so good. That's what we're doing. That's who we are as the, as the Shelby Baptist Association. Now, before I dive into the message and I'm going to be respectful of your time, I want to ask you, I've never done this before and this could get me in trouble. Do you have a question about the Shelby Baptist? Do you understand a little bit more of who we are now? Well, thank you so much for partnering with us. It takes you giving and helping and serving just like that's what we need, is partnerships like this. That's why our our mantra is, our mission statement is, making disciples by meeting needs in cooperation or partnership with our member churches. So thank you. Now, you ready to dive into the Word of God? All right, grab your Bibles. You may have already seen here in your handout. That on the back, it talks about our passage of Scripture is Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through, 6 through 9. And by the way, I'm going to do something, and I hope I do not offend, but there's a purpose for this. Have you ever seen James Span do this? You know what that means? We're about to get serious, okay? So I hope I've not offended you in doing that, but I'm about to get serious. Now, if I start rolling up my sleeves, get under the pews. All right? You ready for me? Alright, as we look at this passage of Scripture, this is a beautiful passage that, that, that we see written, and it's laid out, and there's some backstory to it. But before we get to the backstory, I want to ask you, when you think of a hero in life, what comes to your mind besides Pastor Adam? Do you, do you think of something like a Marvel character? Like, like uh, Captain America? Like Batman? Batman? I'll tell you a funny one time. Uh, at Halloween, we were doing a, a neighborhood block party, and a, I was dressed up as Batman. And we had one of these signs that was on a, kind of like a tent, but it was really long. It was about seven feet long, and it was about four feet high. It was talking about what we were doing and letting people know. And a storm blew up. And I'm dressed up like Batman, and I turn around, and I see that sign coming at me. Do you know what I did? Instinctively, I just went... Boom. I didn't know that anyone had seen it, but the sign came at me. I stopped it. And this guy that was looking out his front door, he come over and was talking to me. And he said, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Batman going on like this. Stop the sign. You know, we think of different heroes in different ways. And, but, you know, let me share with you about another hero. His name was Rafael Peralta, and I read about him several years ago, but he was a 25-year-old immigrant from Mexico. Here's what's so interesting. One day after he gets his green card, he enlisted in the Marines, and the reason he enlisted in the Marine Corps was he wanted to serve his country, and he left his family to serve and enlisted to serve on the very front line. He said, I want to go where the action is. In November, on the 15th of 2004, he's on a tour in Iraq. They were on a seventh day mission, on the seventh day of the mission to clear and sweep out any terrorists that were in homes. They busted into this one home and they go in and they clear the front room and then there's a locked door. And they go through that locked door and he takes a bullet to the head. He's laying on the ground. Five of his buddies are watching as this is taking place. And then a grenade is tossed right by his side. He has the presence of mind that he rolls over and muffles the explosion with his body. Killing himself. But saving his friends. He laid down his life for his friends. Would you call him a hero? Absolutely. Our country needed men and women that took on those kind of responsibilities, and we still do. But I want to tell you something. Our society is fighting an enemy, and they need modern-day heroes. We need modern-day heroes to rise up and take on the challenge of the enemy that we often don't even see. And that's what we find in the Scripture this morning. We find a hero that was given a mission. And it was given direction. His name is Joshua. I invite you to stand with me as I read from Joshua chapter 1, verses 6-9. through We're going to be looking at this passage, and like your pastor, I'm reading from the ESV translation, so you should be able to follow along easily. But it says this, and by the way, I think it's on the screen behind me. It says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Would you underline that word very? Or highlight it? He goes on He said, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. That's a promise. The first part's a condition. It's a statement of what you're supposed to do. And it said, if you do that, here's what you will get. It goes on, it says, for then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's the latter part of it that goes with it. Go back up and look at the beginning of verse 8, though, what it says. It says, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then it says that, what I read you just a moment ago, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. But then look at verse 9. Verse 9, he goes back and he says, Have I not commanded you Be strong and courageous. Did you get that? Three times. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this beautiful passage. Thank You for what You want to teach us. And God, may we, may we hear Your Word spoken to us individually. And Father, may we take it and be obedient to what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. I, I encourage you Blank, they'll come up on the screen. I'll say them, but they'll also come up on the screen. And, and, and you, you might think, well, what's so important about taking notes in church? Uh, let me kind of give you some spiritual application and some practical application, okay? Spiritual application is it helps us to focus in on God's Word, okay? It helps us to focus in on what God wants us to hear. Practical application is several fold. Number one is it helps you remember it much more. You're able to remember it more and and take it in. You're not only seeing it, you're not only hearing it, but you're writing it down. And then some of you will like this part. It helps you know how close I'm getting to being done. Okay, you with me? Some of you guys are like, ah, that's what I like. That's some practical part of it. Okay, so hang with me. In this passage of Scripture, I mentioned a moment ago, three times God is speaking to Joshua when He says, be strong and courageous. And then there again in verse 7, He says, be strong and be very courageous. He's trying to get across a message. And that message is vital. It's important. And here's what the message starts out saying. Listen to this. God had a mission for Joshua. But here's something else that you can pull out of this passage. This is not just a historical document. This is the Word of God. Inspired by God. Breathed out by God. Written by human hands. But those human hands were anointed and empowered to write the Word of God. And so what it's doing is he's saying not only do I have a mission for Joshua, but I have a mission for you. So that's our very first point. God has a mission for you. Moses has passed away. We're starting out here at the book of Joshua, the very beginning of it. You go back into Deuteronomy and you see where Josh—I mean, where Moses was going up and he was taking Joshua and he was actually saying these very same things. He told him, be strong and courageous for God will be with you. And then now God comes in and He reiterates that same message You see, the time had come for the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. The land that God had sworn to give to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and going on down the line. And Joshua here now has that opportunity to lead them in. Do you think he's a little bit nervous? Do you think he might have a little bit of apprehensions? Like going, wait a minute, for 40 years I've watched Moses lead these people. And Moses has done an amazing job. He made some mistakes, but he led them well. And then he also might have been a little bit nervous because he's thinking, and I know how stubborn and obstinate these people can be. So he's nervous. But here's something that we can take away from what's going on. Joshua's mission here. It's simply the fulfilling of a promise. And that's in your notes. All He's doing is fulfilling a promise. God had promised long ago, and He says that right there in the beginning of it, the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. I want you to lead them into it. I've already promised all this. You just have to go through the motions. You just have to lead them. He says, I want you to go into the land. You're going to possess the land. I'll drive them out. I'll use you, but I'll drive them out. You're going to then distribute the land. Now, here's the thing that you've got to take away from this part right here. Each one of us, we are either fulfilling our, in fulfilling our purpose, we are either building on the promises that God has made to other people, or we're fulfilling those promises that God has made to other people. When I took over as the AMS of the SBA, the Shelby Baptist Association, One of the things I said is I am standing on the shoulders of those men who have gone before me and established a great ministry. Dr. Stroud, Dr. Richardson. You can go on back and back. And those who went before me, and that's what God's calling us to do. But here's the other part that you can grasp about that. Joshua's mission is the fulfilling or the following of a pattern. You're like, what do you mean pattern? It's a pattern of God. You see, God has a pattern. Let, let's go back to what it is in this situation. Forty years prior, God had led the children of Egypt out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt. He led them out and He got them out of the oppression of Pharaoh. They come out of Egypt and they get away from that, and they come up and immediately they're met with what? The Red Sea. What does God do? part the waters. They walk through on dry land. They get to the other side. Here comes the enemy. What does God do? Closes the waters and drowns them. Some people say it was just a little small amount of water that they walked through. You know what the amazing part is? If it was just a small amount of water, an entire army drowned in a small amount of water. So it doesn't matter. Whichever way you want to go with it, God did a miracle. Amen. So you go from there and they go on in and they come down and they come to Mara and the water's bitter. And God says, hang on, watch this. And He provides sweet water for them. They're tired and they're worn out. They go a little bit farther. They get to an area called Elam. And it was an oasis of springs and palms and it was an amazing place. Sometimes we want to give up before we get to Elam though. And by the way, Mara to Elam It was about six to seven miles. Not even down to 280. It wasn't that far. Don't give up. God has a plan. You go into the wilderness and they're going through the wilderness and and God provides the food for them. He provides the the meat for them, the manna and the, the quail. He provides all that. But you know what's so amazing to me? While they're in the wilderness, the Bible tells us that their shoes nor their clothes wore out. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time getting through a year without wearing out a pair of tennis shoes. You know, it's interesting how we see that. And Joshua watched and experienced all of that, and he knew that when God made a promise, there was a pattern that God would fulfill for it. But then here we go on down to the next part and we see that Joshua's mission is the finding of his purpose. It's the finding of his purpose. What is his purpose? His purpose was to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, conquer the land, and then distribute the land to the people. That was his mission. And God expected... Israel and get this, he expects you and me as well to do several things when we find our purpose. Or even if we haven't found our purpose yet, he expects for us to surrender our complete personhood our heart, our mind, our soul, our will. Not my will, but your will. Unto God. He expects us to do that. He expects us to serve as He asks of us. Some of us are like, you know God, I'll do anything you ask except... Some of you might be thinking, you know, I'd I'd be willing to work around the church as long as I'm not asked to get up and speak, work with children, sing, now, by the way, I'm gonna go ahead and preface this. God doesn't always prepare us or call us to do something that He is not prepared to provide for us to do. So, if God's call, if you think, well, maybe God is calling me to sing, if you don't get any affirmation from other people standing around you that that's your giftedness, don't go there. See, so when I was in college, I thought, well, maybe God's calling me to do music, or is it pastoring and preaching? And, you know, I would go and preach and they would ask me to come back and preach again. And I went and led some music before. I never got asked to come back. (laughs) So, you see, God has this in mind. He's asking us to sacrifice of who we are, of our time, our resources, our possessions, so that we might further the kingdom of God. He's asking us to shoulder the responsibility of walking in the Spirit and fulfilling the godly, anointed way rather than the flesh way. But you know, there's a danger in our purpose. There's a danger that we we go through. Here's what that danger is. Satan is speaking into our ears. Even this morning as I'm going through this, Satan was speaking into some of your ears. You know what he's saying? He's saying to some of you, well you know that's really good, really good, Rick, but I've done my part. I'm ready to sit back and let someone else take the lead. That's a dangerous place to go. That's a dangerous place to go. Some of you are listening to Satan and he's saying, you know what? I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too busy. I don't have any abilities. You know what? Those are all excuses that we make up because Satan has placed them into our mind. The reality is this. At the Shelby Baptist Association, we have volunteers that come in every week that are retired men and women and volunteer their time. Some of them I watch as they can barely shuffle along. Some of them I watch as they bring in their COPD machines so they can breathe. Some of them I watch as they're struggling to get up and get going. Then I see the young ones. We have whole youth groups that come in sometimes on Sunday nights and go over to the thrift store or the ministry center and they help sort goods, they help clean, they help get everything ready for the week ahead. I've watched as teenagers have led people to Christ in droves. I've watched as old, retired, senior adults have loved on and mentored young people. But you know the most dangerous group to use some of these excuses? It's my age. Some of you are like, well, how old are you? Well, I know some of you are looking at me and think, well, you're probably about 70. Some of you look, ah, he's young. He's probably only about 40. How about 60? Our son will graduate from Sanford University in December. Our daughter is already gone. We have no more kids. My age group's the most dangerous to fall out of church and activity. We'll go... I've done my part. I've raised my kids. I'm going to retire and travel. Guess what? God does not have a retirement system. His reward is well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into my kingdom. Here are your rewards. So God has a mission for you. But there's a mandate, and I've got to be careful because I've already exhausted a lot of time on point one, and you're like going, yeah, and you've got three more points to go, so we're going to buckle up, buttercup. Okay? You with me? God not only has a mission for you, but God has a mandate for you. Look at verse 7. He's written already, be strong and courageous, but now He comes in. Oh, and by the way, verse 18, if you'll go down to it also, He also says again, be strong and courageous. Three times he said, be strong and courageous. But in verse 7, he adds those critical, that critical word of very. But there's also some other words, two other phrases, words that he uses in this passage. He says very, and that means of the highest degree, something that's extreme. The emphasis is not just to moderately be courageous, not to timidly go after it, but to go after it with all your strength. Go after it with every bit of fiber that you've got. And he go at it like... It's not recklessness, though, but it is extremely courageous because you know who is caring for you and with you. Then he goes on, he says, not only to be very, but there's a word in there called accordingly. Some translations may say carefully. And the thought of being very conscientious In the action. Taking great pains to make sure that what you're doing is done with great intensity, effort, mindfulness. And what God is saying to Joshua here is, you take the Word of God and you take great care in obeying. You be very courageous because you've got the Word of God with you and you're looking at it accordingly and you're studying it, you're meditating on it, you're looking at it with all intensity and when you get that, then it goes on he says, and not just a part of it, but all of it. The whole of it. Every bit of it. That's the third word there. Some translations say all, some say whole. But God is emphasizing that Joshua must go beyond just adhering to the letter of the law are you with me? but he also must conform to the spirit of the law we had some folks before that worked for me worked with me and under me I was their supervisor and I would tell them to do something pastor and they would go okay and I'd get that eye roll some of you seen it from your kids when you tell them to do something right? You know what that means is? I'll do it, but I'm not happy about it. God's telling him, you do the letter of the law and you have the heart to go with it. You have the wholeness of it. The question shouldn't be, have I kept the commandments of God, but have I surrendered to the heart of the matter as well? Am I doing exactly what He's asking me? There's a quote that I want you to think about or a statement that I've written in here. It's going to be on your notes. It says, Obedience is not fully accomplished in God's eyes unless our heart is aligned with our actions. You see, God knows the heart and the intent. He's not just looking at the external. We've got to keep going. God has a ministry for you. Not just does He have a mission, but He has a ministry. And that ministry is the ministry of the Word. If you go into verse 8, God speaks and gives a specific command to Joshua and the inheritance to the law. He says, This book of the law must not depart from your mouth. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Study this book of instructions continually. How many times a week do you open the Word of God? On Sunday? On Sunday and Wednesday? What about the rest of the week? Does it stay in your closet? Does it stay on your nightstand? Does it stay in your car Or do you open it up? When he says, shall not depart from your mouth, what he's saying is, you need to be reciting it. Saying it over and over and over. Carefully observing what it has to say. He goes on and says, meditate on it day and night. Let it be something that you continually have rolling over in your mind, thinking about it. It doesn't leave your mind. It's guiding you in all ways. This is not to be just for a mere theological understanding, but for a practical application of the truth of God's laws. Here's another principle for you to hold on to. When we have God's law in our mind and in our heart, then the application of His law should just come naturally when we've got it in us so much. And, and what we will find is that that law becomes something that we just naturally follow to. And here's what we need to do. We must live it. In other words, take it and let it be something that's guiding our principles day in and day out. Not just the outward part, but it must become part of our DNA. We must model it. People need to see it. I write a, a birthday card to each pastor and each spouse. And I also send a marriage anniversary card to each of our pastors and spouse. And when I write them out, I I'm not sure if I see Amanda in here. She may be working with the children or she may have said, I don't want to hear him, go on. Checked out. But generally what I do is I, I write and I say something. Thank you for modeling God's love and design for marriage because the world needs to see it. And you know what? The world needs to see what a real godly, Christ-following person is doing and what it's like modeling the Word of God. And Not only do we, must we live it and model it, we need to teach it. We need to bring someone into our lives that we're mentoring and we're helping them to follow Christ and, and to be what He's called them to be. This means we give added attention to instructing those who are younger in Christ than we are. You know, people are going to learn from us. My son, when he was younger, our son, she had a little bit to do with it. Our son, when we were, he was little, I'm talking like probably in elementary school. Lisa, you probably remember this. We'd pull into the neighborhood, and somehow I got into the habit when I'd pull into the subdivision, I'd just unbuckle my seatbelt. And I suddenly began to notice that Noah was doing the same thing. I didn't teach him it. I modeled it. (laughs) And he started picking it up. So I had to start keeping my seatbelt and. Done until I got in the driveway, stopped the car, turned the car off, and was ready to get out. That's what the world needs to see. Us living the Word of God. Now, let me pull this all together. God has a motivation for you. I love this part. This is the part that just really gets me excited. There are two principles that motivated Joshua in this commissioning. Number one, in verse 9 he said, You're not alone. God is with you wherever you go. Now, there is a prerequisite, and that prerequisite is that we have to carefully follow God's law, obeying it, heart and mind and soul, not just the letter, but the Spirit as well. And he said, and I'll be with you. I'll be with you wherever you go. I remember when we were, had built the church in Mobile, planted the church down there, we built it in the shape of a cross. One Wednesday night after church, there was a group of us adults that we were standing in that center section like where the two crossbars meet. It was kind of like a, a little, um, uh, not a, a dome, but it, it was that's, that's where the center was. We were standing there talking, and the kids were out in all parts of the building playing. Had a lot of kids. And all of a sudden, a storm come up. And when that storm came up, a big old thing of lightning struck right outside the church, and within a moment, thunder, scared the bejeebies out of all those kids. They came running from all four directions to that center spot where their mom and dad were. And they grabbed the leg. They wanted to be where mom and dad were they did not want to be alone. And guess what? I don't want to be alone in this world. I don't want to take on these daily activities, these daily challenges without God with me. And He's saying, He's promising us that I will be with you. You gotta obey me. You gotta follow my commands. But then the second one was, not only will God be with us, you're not alone. He said, but you will find success. In that passage in verse 8, he says, then you will have good success. The terminology there in the Hebrew is not that they're going to amass great wealth, but they're going to have spiritual victories. He says, you're going to have this in everything that you do in accomplishing your mission, and acting with keen insight in any circumstance that God is going to give you success. But there's a prerequisite. Follow the Word of God. Adhere to it. Not just part of it, but all of it. And be very strong and courageous. And we will succeed in our mission. What is our mission? Let me remind you very quickly. Walk closely with God. I want to ask you one simple question as we get ready for the invitation time. Are you closer to God right now than you were last year at this time? If you're not, then now is the time that you need to make a change. If you're not closer to God now than you were last year, or let's not even put a time frame, are you closer to God than you've ever been in your life? If you're not, then you need to take this time to say, what do I need to change? Our mission is also to obey His commands. Not just the ones we agree with. This is not Subway. We can't go through and say, leave off the olives and onions and the cucumbers and the pickles. I don't like those, but give me a lot of meat and cheese. we got to obey them all. Men, this one's for you. Are you leading your family, your wife, your children, your grandchildren to fall in love with Jesus? Are you modeling Jesus for them? Are you intentionally teaching them? Oh, we're real good at teaching them how to throw a baseball or a football or catch a fish or or bag a big buck. But are we teaching them about the principles of God? God is reassuring Joshua. And He's reassuring us this morning that you will find success and you will not be alone, provided that you're surrendered to Me, to Him, and that you're obeying Him completely. Jesus said it as well in the New Testament. In John chapter 14, verse 18, He says, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. He goes on down just a little bit farther in verse 26. He says, but My Father will send the Holy Spirit to teach you all the things you need to know. And bring to remembrance all the things that I have taught you. What a beautiful reminder of God's presence, of Jesus' provisions, and the Holy Spirit's promise. Now, got a question for you. You're like, you've told us a lot of things, Rick, but I, I, my mind's real simple. Can you pull it all together? Sure. Look at this statement it's called a message in a nutshell. Can we bring it up there? If we carefully observe the whole law of God by walking closely and obediently with God, we need not be afraid. For our God will be with us in all we do, bringing us success as we serve as modern-day heroes of the faith. Now, I got a question. Three questions that we're going to wrap up with, and the pastor's going to be here at the front. We're going to allow you a time to respond. And as we respond to this message from God, and by the way, every one of us will respond. Some of you will choose to do nothing and just walk out the door. You've responded to God. Some of you will choose to come and talk with your pastor or kneel at the altar and pray. You've responded to God. Some of you will sit in your pews and say, well, you know, I don't need to do that. It's not that big of a deal. You've responded to God. The question is, how would you respond? How will you respond? Question number one. Those who have surrendered their hearts, minds, souls, and wills to Jesus have this promise. Do you have that promise? That God is with you and that he will bring you success? If you don't know, then you need to speak with Pastor Adam. Because there is a chance that maybe you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that you might be forgiven and have these promises. Second question. Those who adhere to his words and commands are the ones that receive this promise. Are you adhering to all the Word of God? To the whole Word. Not just the letter, but the Spirit of the law too. Are you? Maybe you need to kneel at this altar and say, God, today is the day. I wholeheartedly surrender unto you. Last question. Are you seeking Him with every ounce of your fiber? Every day. Not just on Sundays, but daily. Getting up and saying, God, don't let me do anything stupid today but also help me see what your mission is for me today, and I will do it. Are you doing that? Maybe you need to just completely give that unto God. I'm going to pray. The pastor's going to come. Our musicians, I think, are going to play something, and what will you do? How will you respond today? Father, I thank you for this time that we've had this morning. I thank You for Your Word that challenges us. I pray, Father, that today an amazing Spirit would fall on this place and that, Father, we, starting with me, Father, that we would surrender wholeheartedly to You and we would have the promises that You have given unto us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.